politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard anew our life, our liberty, our property. Now is showtime. Now is the time to fight for everything that matters here at CR Podcast. Daniel Horowitz back here for a brand new week, our first full week of the year, January 9th. And yes, there is a spring in my step, extra confidence in my voice. I'm always here in front of you delivering woe and lamentation, being more of the Jeremiah. But today I'll finally give you a little bit of Isaiah, a little bit of Ezekiel. There is reason to be optimistic, to be happy, and to take yes for an answer. No, it doesn't mean we suddenly solved everything. We still need a national divorce. The federal government still will never be fixed. And we still represent just you know, 10, 20% of elected Republicans in terms of those who share our values in any given place. But what did occur last week is a blueprint for how to fight, for how to manipulate the GOP in the absence of a third party, but create a de facto coalition parliamentarian style government that achieves many of our objectives. Moreover, what occurred and the outcome of which, and again, I understand some of you are a little bit skeptical, and I'm not saying it's 100% set in stone and the rhinos can't launch a counteroffensive and go back on it, but what we've likely secured will not only not serve as a distraction to our objectives of national divorce, focusing more on localism, creating a cathartic inflection moment to either burn the system down to the ground or somehow evacuate ourselves from it. That's the only goal we could have. No, this outcome will actually give us many of the tools to facilitate it. So what I'm going to give over to you today is, what are our objects, uh, objectives in general? Therefore, what were our objectives with this particular speaker's fight? And then how the outcome, I believe is more in line with those objectives than it would have been just to get rid of McCarthy as an end to itself and then likely replace him with a neocon whatever type of guy where we wouldn't have gotten the leverage. In short, what I believe happened was that McCarthy got the gavel, but we got his balls, okay? I mean, the nicer way of putting that is that we won the policy power that we need. So... It's interesting. The lesson this teaches us is, like I said, you always have to be prepared to do the right thing and believe in the right things. It might look hopeless, but God could orchestrate a circumstance within a few days that just changed the landscape. But if you don't believe in anything, you're not prepared to enjoy that windfall that God has given you. And that's why I'm always pushing, what are your top 50 things you want to do in a state legislature, as a governor, in Congress, on a committee? You might not have that opportunity now, but God could present that to you very quickly, and you need to take advantage of it. You know, one of the members told me, 
Uh, we're going to have Chip Roy coming up soon. This wasn't Chip, but someone else. It's like, hey, you know, Texas buddy, I'll never have this degree of leverage before. Or I never had it before, never will have it again. Am I missing anything that we want to throw in there? So, those of you who are skeptical of this, and I, I fully appreciate it, there's a couple things we need to understand. First of all, just to reiterate what I said Friday, when we thought that the speaker's race was headed to the outcome that I thought it was, and indeed, it pretty much was the same, there's the convergence of two factors that never occurred before. A lot of people are wondering, is this a trap? Is there, is there some catch here? It gave conservatives all this stuff. No, there isn't. And the reason is two things. There was never a time where we had so, such an intrepid stand from our people that they were willing to drag out a House majority for a week and force 15 ballots, like 1800-style stuff, on C-SPAN. That never happened before. No one saw it coming, both supporters and opponents. They were floored. Because remember, we did do this twice with Boehner, and it collapsed. Thomas Massey always tells me he led the first Boehner fight in 2013, January 2013. They needed 13 votes, I, I believe, or 15. They had 20 signed a blood oath, and they were picked off one by one. And it collapsed, and I think they only got eight or nine in the end. And Boehner was elected speaker, and those guys were caught holding the bag with nothing. They held. They held firm. They held firm for days, enough to negotiate this, this agreement. But the second factor that I think people don't appreciate is Kevin McCarthy is unlike any other establishment guy ever. He is so soulless, so shameless. I don't understand the psychology behind it. Yes, they're all narcissistic. They all love power. But he takes it to a new level. The man just wanted to be speaker. Did you see the pictures of his smile holding the gavel? I don't remember Paul Ryan or Boehner like that. He All he wanted, it, it, it was losing that was like losing a child. I am not kidding you. So when he came on that first day and these guys were like, Dude, we're not voting for you. No, no, come on. Come on, guys. Get on Get on with it. You can't do this to me. No, we're doing it. And they did it once, twice, three times that same day. He realized that they meant business. That was like a loss of a family member to him. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, he would have committed suicide or something. He could not live without that. That's where this leverage came from. This would never happen with anyone else. No one else, any other person would have rather stepped down. A guy like Mitch McConnell, a guy like Paul Ryan, they, they would believe it's almost a religious duty to keep these sort of conservatives away from these committees, this sort of veto power, this sort of individual prerogative to introduce amendments and legislation and write the predominant bills for the debt ceiling, government funding, and things like that, and immigration – you know, and, and we'll go through with, with Chip some of the specifics of what they secured. But I'm just telling you, some of the things privately that's not public is even better. It's not a trap. It's very straightforward what, what occurred. Now, 
Daniel, how do you know it's enduring? How do you know it's... That's why they it took them five days. They knew more or less McCarthy was going to give this to them after they showed they were serious on day one. But this is what they worked at. People like Chip and Dan Bishop and Thomas Massey, by the way, even though he didn't join it on paper, he actually kind of did in the background, which was very strategic of him. It, it got us a better result. Just so you know, I, I am disappointed with some who didn't join it, but not Massey. He actually did better for us. Uh, Massey never lets us down. But the point is that while we were trying to nail this down, make sure there's enforcement mechanisms, this is when all these idiots from Hugh Hewitt and all these guys on Fox dumped on our people. Hey, he gave you everything. Accept it. No, you idiot. We have to make sure it's enduring. So that's what took a while. It was indeed to enforce it. Now, I understand a lot of this stuff is a gentleman's agreement, right? Meaning the things like the germaneness of the bills, the 72-hour rule, that any member could, um, you know, 20 members could force an amendment vote. Um, The majority of the majority. This stuff is, that's going to be in the rules package voted on any, any minute. And unless there's some sort of funny thing, it should pass. And that will be done. Including Included in that is the one-member motion to vacate. So any member of the Republican Party could stand up and do motion to vacate. That's done. A lot of the other stuff on policy and you know positions, that's party stuff. So that, that they were, I mean, it was written down, but that's private. But the things that we're going to have in the rules package that are adopted and codified are self-executing triggers against the betrayal of the other things. Now, until now, the motion to vacate was kind of vacuous because we never succeeded in rebelling against the Speaker. Now we have a paradigm where we have, remember, it's a very narrow majority. That's number one. It used to be we needed 15, 17 votes. That's a much harder to round up with certitude. Now everyone knows you'll always have five, so that's why you'll often have 20, maybe hopefully next time 30 or 40. So they will absolutely trigger it at any sign of trouble. That, that, that we won. Meaning, after we denuded him of everything, we still have a gun against his head. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. So, this is where we are with Kevin McCarthy. It's self-executing against everything else. So, to me, this was much better, as I mentioned on Friday, than getting some sort of fake conservative-ish type of guy that on paper maybe has more ideology than McCarthy, but it's a double-edged sword. I'm not defending McCarthy as a person. I'm just saying because he's so soulless that he's the only guy we can get this from. Another guy, we wouldn't have that leverage. And then it's like, hey, this was your choice of speaker, buddy. Now you own it. And now we can't complain about it and, and you know have leverage against it. Keep in mind, McCarthy is not the problem. He's a reflection of the problem. The GOP is the problem. We're, we're a tiny minority. So, now, Daniel, are you saying this was a roost the entire time? Well, number one, you do need a firm commitment publicly. We're never going to vote for McCarthy in order to secure this deal. Otherwise, he wouldn't have taken it seriously. Number two, no. I mean, it was kind of murky. 
It's like when a surgeon goes in to do surgery, sometimes they have multiple goals. Depending on what they see, the facts on the ground, what they're going to do or not do on the spot. We needed to have this fight, and we needed to make it clear. We need to go a day or two or three, and then you kind of see what are the realm of outcomes. And I, I, as it went on, I started to see that this was indeed the best outcome. And I'm, I'm certainly glad it was done. Now, our sponsor today, Jay's Case, one of the things I'm going to be doing is scrambling now. Now that we have the best guys in the chamber with access to basically the ability to tack on amendments of any issue we like, I'm going to put together a list of all sorts of things, and we're going to need to deal, obviously, with all the things that are causing food, fuel, medical supply shortages all the policies that are undergirding that. But be it as it may, at this point, you cannot get a hold of antibiotics in many parts of the country. It's a big problem. If you go to jacemedical.com and use offer code REVIEW10 for $10 off your order of their Jace case, which has five different courses of antibiotics, things like azithromycin, obviously, you know, just some of the basics like... Um, you know, the basic versions of penicillin. There's, you know, five different drugs they have there that are used for typical UTIs, respiratory infections, sinus, sinus infections often won't go away without it. Um, it's critical you prepare right now. This is more important than even toilet paper. That's why my friends at Jace Medical want to help you and your family be as prepared as possible in an emergency situation. This is life-saving. You could get it on hand for a pandemic, for when you travel, natural disasters, you name it. It takes only 10 minutes to go to jacemedical.com, fill out their survey online. They'll write a prescription, you know, unless there's some sort of contraindication, and then you will have you know, the full adult course of these five antibiotics right there in your house, safely there, kind of like what we did during COVID at jacemedical.com, offer code REVIEW for $10 off your order. So folks, I just want to demonstrate this point in terms of the objective. What is the objective? What is the objective? Well, from my vantage point, I'll explain it like this. We know our government is almost worse than Iran, North Korea, and Al-Qaeda. Our government is irremediably broken on all accounts. Our culture is irremediably broken. A third to 45% of the people in our country are irremediably broken in their communist beliefs. And, you know, at any given time, a certain magnitude of order or a tranche beyond that gets roped into it and starts believing that too. That's a reality. A reality is we cannot live with these people. But the reality is most of our people still don't fully get it because we don't have a party bringing this stuff to the national forefront, to the forcing a brinkmanship, forcing an inflection moment, forcing a cathartic event that will either force, you know, burning it to the, down to the ground or a national divorce or something like that. That's layer number one. Layer number two is, well, you need a party to do that. But we can't because, well, what do you mean? Do doesn't everyone see Republicans are frauds? No, not really. Because they wear our jersey. They obfuscate the divide between the different types. 
They run on our issues, but then they perfectly ensure that the system continues without the public being red-pilled against those Republicans doing it and even the Democrats because the Republicans shield them. That, that in about 30 seconds is the problem we face. So we need to be able to force an inflection moment if we can't govern and implement what we want, or even if we could, the system is so irremediably broken, we have to force a situation where this comes to the forefront, where people realize exactly what our government did, like we're trying to do with the rise of the Fourth Reich, that our government committed a genocide and is still doing it beyond your imagine, and that's just one policy issue, and that Republicans are complete frauds, and you need to stop voting for them even in general elections. And ultimately, it needs to push some version of a national divorce, some new charter, a new 1787. That's what we need. The question was always, how do you achieve this? Well, again, you can't achieve it before people fully understand what's going on, which they don't really, and fully appreciate that the GOP is a fraud. Let me give you an analogy. The Democrats are in the House trapping people hostage and starting to light the drapes on fire to burn them out in the House. The Republican Party is in a strategic partnership in the doorway of the House, standing there with their fat rear end in that doorway, so the firefighters can't get in and we can't create real firefighters. Except the GOP, they, they're dressing up in a firefighter uniform, blocking that door, and they're kind of like gestic- gesticulating and motioning as if they're directing, you know, firefighters. It looks to the crowd outside gathering as if they're, you know, putting out, trying to put out the fire that the arsonist, in this analogy, the Democrats are, are, are doing. But in fact, it's the exact opposite. But, but we're not going to be able to put it out or come to some resolution until we barrel through that door and knock down that fake firefighter. So we can get a real firefighter in there. As best as we can, this deal achieves just that. Okay? This bill achieves, not bill or this agreement, achieves as much as we can do. Again, we are still a minority of the minority of the minority within the House GOP majority. It's still more important to focus on localism. Still, even if we get a chance to govern, we're not really going to govern because you're not going to fix that. First of all, we don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. And even if we did, I still don't believe it matters much because you're not going to fix the federal government. I have not changed in that belief. But here's where it does matter. We will likely, if we play our cards right, have the tools, the tools for the best members to bring forth the sorts of legislation and to engage in the sort of oversight hearings and accountability that will accentuate the divide within the party, the divide within the nation, will expose the gravity of what our government is doing and the contrast that we should be living under, that it will red pill our voters even more to lead towards that inflection point. Okay, in a general sense, that's how I would give it over before we get to the specifics of what it does. 
Notice what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, we're going to implement all this great stuff. And No, I mean, you don't have the Senate. You don't have the White House. Even if you did, you're not going to fix it. I still believe that. And frankly, a lot of this stuff won't pass the House either. But here's the difference. Until now, we couldn't even get this stuff. These categorical changes. Because they wouldn't allow them to come to a vote. So Republicans would carefully orchestrate this theater when they're in the majority to indulge our talking points, but ensure that nothing really changes. You don't give people a vision of categorical change, and then you obfuscate the party divide and allow all these pukes to continue doing what they're doing. This agreement allows you know, the best guys and people like myself to work with them and propose my top 50 list and hopefully get votes on them. Well, Daniel, who who's to say it's going to pass? Yeah, I mean, we didn't get the Rhino voting cards. They could still vote the way they want. They could oppose it. But now it's on our terms. It will be so much easier. People will... Either they will be forced to go along with us, or now it will be abundantly clear what they are. We'll, we will be able to expose the frauds within the party. That, to me, is objective number one. Objective number two is obviously you need to reach an inflection moment to force any cathartic change. It's usually debt ceilings, budget bills. Until now, the problem we had was that we didn't have our hands on the steering, steering wheel. So they would play this game, false choices, this is what we can do, and then ram an omnibus down. This is, this is what happened under Boehner, under Ryan, under Trump, all of it, not just under Biden. Now, with, Republic, with, with people like Thomas Massey and Chip Roy, potentially we, have, we get three seats on the Rules Committee, it will have the ability to block... First of all, they agreed that they, they would actually craft the, the leadership bill for the must-pass bills. But either way, they could amend it, amend, amend it and block it on the Rules Committee. And that doesn't sound so cool to the average person, but what that means is we will force them into a debate and, and it will... Again, if the rhinos want to stand up and vote against it, I, this doesn't guarantee they won't. But it guarantees they don't have a loincloth around their nakedness while doing it, which is the problem we've had until now. It takes away the loincloth. Moreover, if we do have a government shutdown, now our guys will be the floor managers, A, to have the embarrassing votes against the Democrats, like we're going to fund the troops, we're going to fund the vital things, so they're going to be the ones shutting it down on behalf of transgenderism or whatever we're going to be fighting at that given moment, the border invasion, yada yada. And also, our guys will get on the Sunday shows because they're the floor managers and properly message it so you don't have like the few times we did have a government shutdown where leadership sabotages our messaging. Now, you could still have concurrently these guys yelping in the background, this is a stupid idea, and they will, but we'll have a much stronger voice. That's the best we can do. And then number three is on the oversight 
part of this. Oversight is not designed to change anything. I know you're rolling your eyes. Oh, it's just committee hearings. And I, I, I agree with that. But it's the exposure of the depth of what our government is doing to us. I mean, like, you know, CIA, CIA assassinating JFK level sort of things. That is going to red pill the public. That is the entire point of this. But, but these are things that until now we had no control over because they weren't going to go where it needed to go. They just weren't. They weren't going to touch January 6th. But now we have this select subcommittee within judiciary on the weaponization of the federal government against the American people. So anything that... Anything that um, is potentially going to affect the civil liberty of an American. Pretty broad (laughs) purview. So anything a federal agency does, it's not just the FBI. It's not just the Twitter collaboration, the censorship. You know, everyone's talking about that. It's a very broad jurisdiction. You now have people, again, like, you know, Don Bishop... Chip Roy, Thomas Massey, the best guys will be on that committee. So you don't have to rely on the established GOP structure to do it. We get our own sandbox, and that's all we need. That's all we need. Now, could even the best Freedom Caucus members and Thomas Massey, you know, become weak on us? Look, anything could happen. It's only as good as the best members. But that's why now is showtime. Believe me, when I see, I'm not just gonna, if I see problems with the house, I'll call it out and I'll continue to do, call out the rhinos and stupid things every day. But I'm also going to be constructive and all these lists I wanted to formulate for state legislatures, I'm gonna be doing at a federal level. Here's, here are top 50 things we need to investigate and legislate. Again, it doesn't mean it's even gonna pass the house with the rhinos, certainly not the Senate and the White House. But this is how you create inflection moments, how you more efficiently wage the war of information dissemination. And this is how you red pill our people, both against the Republican Party that opposes us, and now they'll be exposed, and and just against the federal government in general. That's the best we can do. Notice, I'm not saying, oh, no, no, I changed my strategy. Now I'm going to focus on the feds because I think we can fix it. No, no, I'm not saying that. Not at all. I'm saying this actually gives us the tools to do what we always wanted to do. Because at the end of the day, it is a big platform. To me, it accentuates and synergizes what we hope to do at a state level. See, for, for, for example, let's say the committee exposes, you know, literally um, the FBI has a hit list to assassinate me or someone like me. Okay, so then that red pills the states where we say, okay, now in Oklahoma and Texas and Florida, you must commit to blocking the FBI from making arrests in your state and start punishing them, throwing up red blo- roadblocks. You need a narrative. You need a story. 
The GOP only operates off of that. That's what we saw with transgenderism. Legitimately, the legislatures, and many of them are going to be um, working on fighting the tranny issue. It's been around for 10 years. They did nothing. It took all these revelations and stories. That's what we hope to do. I'm not going to oversell it, but I don't want to undersell it either. That is why I believe this was the best outcome. Now, folks, before we get too far, and I just kind of talk for the rest of the time because I'm just so passionate about this, I want to give you the latest on the ground with the actual specifics and why it should matter to you with one of the lead negotiators, the man who's been fighting for so long. You know, I told this man he shouldn't run for Congress. It's worthless. It's a waste of time. And, you know, the way I viewed the institution, I still think it is in that sense. If you look at the conventional things we wanted to accomplish, but if you look at it from the perspective I just framed it, boy, oh boy, I'm glad he ran for Congress and is there today and is going to be one of the leaders. With us is Congressman Chip Roy, Texas 21. Hey, Chip. Thanks so much for joining us with uh, so little sleep. Yeah, good morning, Daniel. I've caught up a little bit over the weekend, but we're we're still going. It's still an ongoing uh, exercise, and frankly, it won't stop being an ongoing exercise. Uh, but we're going to keep uh, doing everything we can to hold them accountable. It, exactly. So I, I just want to start from the beginning. I'm getting emails, you know, messages. People are a little suspicious, like, well, I don't understand. We said this guy was unacceptable. We held out, didn't have the votes. We finally got it together. And, you know, today we're, we're still left with Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Why, just in, in, in before we get to maybe some of the real specifics, but in a general sense, do you think this was the better outcome than having gotten another speaker? Well, first of all, in this town, to get 218 votes as speaker, you're not going to get someone, at least in this environment, like you would want, Dane, or I would want, or most of your listeners and people who support me typically want, Right. Because it's just the way that the numbers unfold. We had, a, we had a moment and an opportunity to leverage the fact that there was a desire for, for, by a large block of the membership for Kevin to be speaker, to get actual institutional and structural changes to transform the direction of the way the House works. Because for too long, it has been badly broken. So I'm happy to go through the details, and, 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 I, and I will. But, but understand, it's not like we all sat down and said, oh, boy. You know, we've, we've gotten what we want, uh, you know, in, in terms of our speakership. But what we did say is we, we were able to look, look, Kevin, sit down at, at, across the table and, and extract uh, not just promises, but an actual agreement on a number of these things to get this body to move forward in a way that would work. And that's what that's what I believe we did. But let me be very clear to every one of your listeners, to everybody who reads what you write out there, who say they're suspicious so am I. Okay. So am I. I am suspicious of this institution. I'm suspicious of anybody, of everybody in it for the most part with a handful of exceptions. And I'm going to continue to fight. I don't even put this in trust, but verify. I put this as I don't really trust anybody. So verify. And that's what I'm actually trying to do. No, exactly. And now's the time to get to work where we start working on exactly what we want policy-wise oversight wise um and and make it happen and you know there likely will be a counter um offensive from some of the more liberal republicans that aren't going to be happy with this and we have to be prepared to fight it so okay let's let's start with the rules committee why should people care you know your average person okay you know um 
you know, it's it's now public that there are th- three conservatives are allowed on the rules committee. Typically, there were zero. It wasn't a committee conservatives were allowed on. Um, why does that matter? Well, let me take one step back and then I'll answer that question. Uh, the way the place works, right? The rules committee is nerd speak for there's a committee that is essentially the funnel from which all of the bills that come out of the various standing committees, whether you're talking about energy and commerce or appropriations or judiciary, they go to the funnel and then they get funneled through the rules committee with certain rules um, setting up how you debate it on the floor. Can you have any amendments at all? If you do have amendments, what are they? How long are the debate times? Uh, How long do you have to read the rule, right? All of that stuff, read the bill, all of those things. So, we wanted to be able to have greater control in the rules committee about how these things get to the floor, to be able to check things before they get to the floor. Now, in my view, that's a way to avoid catastrophe on the floor, where we saw unfold in 2018, bad bills brought to the floor and Republicans end up losing the vote and they fracture on the floor like the crappy uh, border security immigration bills in the summer of 2018, good light one and two and the failure on Obamacare repeal in January of 2017, though as, as two of many examples. So we got changes to the rules, as you know, that were important. Single person vacate uh, so that we can vacate the chair and hold the speaker accountable with one person making the motion and then the body votes. We got single purpose rule. That is a material change that, that we have to sign off on a single subject bill that we can hold it accountable in the standing committees and we can hold accountable in the rules committee. That's why I'm bringing this up. Same with germaneness of amendments that you can only have amendments that relate to the underlying purpose of the bill. The rules committee will be able to enforce these things to throttle the expansion of these bills, the Christmas tree pile up of, of, of items that are usually woke garbage or pet projects or extra spending. So we've now got a pledge to get enough people on the rules committee that we can uh, shape that and make decisions on that. Now, still to be determined, Daniel, is who will be those individuals and how are we going to organize ourselves in sort of a new paradigm? Remember that between 1937 and 1961, the Rules Committee had a whole lot of great control over things and things were different. There are different ways to organize how you do things. Does the Speaker call the shots you know, independently? There's a Rules Committee. Uh, how, how do you decide as a body? We want to have more power in the rules committee. We were able to extract that, but there's still a lot of pieces to put together to make it work. And what I'm, what I'm telling you and your listeners is ain't nothing perfect, but getting the fact that we have the, the accountability with single person motion to vacate, we have the rules package. If we pass it tonight, which is still a question that has those single questions, single purpose, germane, it's the Holman rule allowing you to restructure agencies in 72 hours to read the bill. Then if we get the right people on the rules committee, we can block waiving of those things. We can block the way this place typically end runs and in the rules and then uh, prohibits us from being able to do that. But those are the only things we got, right? We also got significant uh, uh, budget constraints uh, agreed to, And when I say agreed to, I mean sitting in a room with multiple members and the speaker agreeing that we're going to pursue spending constraints. That being specifically 10-year balanced budget capping current year FY24 when we're doing the FY24 spending. That's the bills we'll be debating this year. Spending at – we will cap that at 
FY22 levels, the discretionary spending level. That is a top-line number. So last point I'll make, and I'll stop filibustering. It is absurd to say that that means we want to cut defense. What it really means is, like in my house, if I say my wife and I decide we're going to spend at 20, FY22 levels, and we, we, we need to do that, that I'm not going to cut my mortgage payment. I'm not going to cut the things that are my priorities. I'm not going to cut, you know, food for my children, but I am going to cut vacations. I am going to cut, you know, maybe getting a new car instead of, you know, patching together an old car, right? That's how budgeting works, guys. And it, I don't think this is that complicated, but some are trying to spin this up as an anti-defense thing. There are other things that are part of the overall agreement, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Sure, and, and that's a longer discussion we have to have about our vision on defense. It's not just an endless money spigot, but a policy reform agenda is what armed services needs to be doing. Um, what's the vision of the military? Wh- where do we need to be strong? Where do we need a presence? And then certainly just all the social policies and, and uh, you know, what's DARPA doing? What's Defense Threat Reduction Agency doing? What about the spying on Americans from the NSA? That's what I'd like to see people like Mike Rogers and the Armed Services Committee deal with. So it's not just a debate. Is it $850 billion or $860 billion? You know, so we'll we'll get to that. What about this committee? So why, you know, you have Judiciary Committee. Jordan's already the chairman. So they're going to do the oversight over the FBI and, and uh, the agencies like that. What's special about this select subcommittee within judiciary um, that's being called, you know, you know, weaponization of the federal agencies against the American people? Um, why is that so important? Well, I would note that the uh, fact that we're referring to it as a, you know, committee on the, uh, uh, you know, the weaponization of the federal government. No, I would note that that's WTF, an acronym. <laughs> but, but look, the goal here was to give more independence from the standing committees and more power and more resources and more budget. We demanded that the, uh, that the uh, uh, committee be set up with the same uh, spending as the, uh, at least as much spending and staffing as the January 6th uh, committee. We demanded that uh, it be uh, an HFC person that's chairing it. We demanded that it be independent uh, from, uh, you know, solely being one of the, you know, being spread across the existing standing committees because it brings a focus on this question. Had we not done this, had we not demanded this, and there was no intention of doing this before, before we demanded it, it would have been left to some sort of sharing arrangement where Intel and then Jim at Judiciary, who would have done good things on FBI anyway, but on all of these other issues, it would have been left to the standing committees, and then you would have had maybe Energy and Commerce go take a swipe at Fauci, and then you'd maybe have Homeland. And some of those will still happen, but by centralizing a kind of command and control within this uh, important now subcommittee, uh, you are now highlighting the extent to which we need to go to war with the uh, you know tyrannical bureaucracy that is weaponizing the tools of government against the American people. That's the purpose. Again, is it perfect? No. I would have preferred that it be pulled aside and be fully independent. Yeah. But we, we trust Jim, and we're going to work with Jim to uh, make that operate within the Judiciary Committee framework as an independent subcommittee, and, uh, on which he will, of course, serve. And we're trying, to, we're trying to figure out the details of that as we speak. 
No, that makes sense. I know you got to run on the big conference call today, so I don't want to keep you, but I'll just, uh, so we'll have to do this again later, but I just want to ask, are you confident that this almost historic block that has been put together, we never succeeded in doing this before, um, that it's still intact in the sense that, you know, if there is kind of a, you know, Tuesday lunch bunch, uh, Rhino counteroffensive here, that you guys are going to hold the line? I believe so. I believe that we we built a team of people that are willing to work hard together, to trust each other, to stand up and fight. You know, look, were there some disagreements among our group? Of course there are. As I said on one show yesterday, this is not the same as, um, as you know, a military where a general can call the shots. <laughs> you have to build a coalition of people who have equal standing and who have equal representation responsibilities to their constituents and have varying degrees and views and you have to get them on the same team and we were able to get 20 and then ultimately another half really with victoria voting present to hold the line for a couple of days while we negotiated and fought for things in good faith again nothing will be perfect but their perfect was never going to be the outcome of this we have to we have to weaponize our conservative ability to go after the weaponization of government to be able to stop the Senate and Senate Republicans, like what happened with McConnell and all those guys uh, from going after the American people. I believe this was a giant step forward, but it's going to be up to us to hold it accountable. Just asking everybody to give us a little uh, little room to try to do the best we can from yes. the position of being authority within this block of the House. Weaponize our tools. That's the best we can do. Now it's time to get to work. Thanks so much for fighting for us last week. Really looking forward to having you again. Thanks, Dan. Take care. God bless, my friends. God bless. So, folks, again, that was Congressman Chip Roy, a dear friend of mine. Um, You will never find anyone as sincere and passionate as he is. Um, You know, even when I disagreed with him, I disagreed with him when he voted to certify the election. He genuinely felt that Trump ran a crappy campaign, and that's why he ran behind where Chip did in his district. And he's not wrong about that part of it. And he felt the Constitution just didn't give members that authority. And that's just, he was consistent about it. I disagreed with him. Um, But you know you're getting a straight, there's no BS. And I just want to make something clear. There's a lot of talk about, oh, people got committee assignments. I'm all for getting the rules changes, but the favors. And that's what the rhinos are starting to counterattack. And Nancy Mace, and you heard this Tony Gonzalez, a a rhino from Texas. They're saying, "We, we need to know what these backroom deals were. I'm just going to tell you guys, and, and then you hear it from the fake right as well. They say it, and then and then even some of the guys that wanted completely to get out McCarthy are like, well, I don't, I don't care about committees. It's I just want to get out McCarthy. The point is, someone's got to fight for us, okay? This is not a matter of, oh, like the, like the establishment, they want a committee assignment on energy and commerce because it's very lucrative when they get out of Congress, they'll, you know, be in bed with all these industries and get a job for a million dollars a year. They want it because they, for exactly what I just said, to weaponize our tools against a weaponized government. You have to believe in the your, the members you have. Okay, otherwise then who's going to fight for you? Okay, well, I, I don't believe in getting committee assignments, but, you know, I want to fight it. Well, you know, they're not fighting for themselves personally. It was that the Freedom Caucus should get membership. And by the way, it wasn't just the guy self-serving the 20 members who got, um, you know, particularly the five or so that were doing negotiations that got committee promises. It's even 
some of them who weren't a part of the rebellion, um, you know, like Thomas Massey, and and he will definitely reap this windfall. I could tell you that much. And there's a lot more that Chip didn't say. We didn't have enough time. I wish we had a little bit more time, but he had to get on that daily conference call with the whatever that entire conference to discuss the agenda. But the point is that there is a lot more down the pipeline. I will tell you there is an interesting development today. If you know, if you noted this guy, Mike Rogers, who is the chairman of armed services, he is the epitome of a fake hawk. I love the military, but loving the military to them just means endless increases in funding for a woke and broke military without first fixing the military structurally, culturally, policy-wise, and first orienting the mission of the military before providing the funding. And I just say that, and I'm, I'm going to have a column out on this tomorrow, because we don't need more... I, I, we, we agree in a large defense, but there's large and there's large. And if you have the proper military to deter China, and rather than having all these bases elsewhere, and the Afghanistan stuff, and the Ukraine stuff, and the social engineering, and the uh, nation building, you know, you will have enough money. But that's neither here nor there. But that's who Mike Rogers is. So Mike Rogers threatened to throw conservatives off committees. Mike Rogers also famously Friday night, it looked like he was going to take a swing at Matt Gates. Heck, it almost looked like he was going after Lauren Boebert, who's like the smallest member of Congress, literally. But but this guy's a real dirtbag. Today it announced he is stepping down from the steering committee. The steering committee is the committee that determines who sits on committees. That's the committee that determines um, the committee assignments. The speaker gets like five votes, the majority leader three. All, all leadership members get a vote in it. And then you have regional directors, so he's the guy in the South. And they're almost historically almost all jerks. He he stepped down. I, I, I mean, to me, that's a good sign that McCarthy pushed him out. So, you know, that he is implementing the deal. To be clear, folks, this doesn't mean I suddenly like McCarthy as a person. It's just the opposite. The guy is such a dirtbag that he's the only one we could have gotten this from. So, I don't know. It could be like a guy like Andy Biggs, and I'm, I'm equally friendly with both Chip and Andy. He might have wanted to fight on another couple days. And I, you have to understand what each one promised to begin with. It does make a difference. Like he said, I'm just never voting for McCarthy. He didn't focus so much on, on some of this other stuff. has to do with what you promised your constituents, what you were going to fight for, and it has to do a lot with strategic thinking. Chip would argue that this is not more hardcore. It's less hardcore. Um, just want to reiterate, again, two things. The same reason we were able to get so much out of McCarthy, it was so easy is the same reason it would have been so hard to ultimately push him out. It's two sides of a coin. He wanted that freaking gavel at all costs. So he was willing to give anything to get it. But to not get it, he would have done anything to fight it. So, you know, the thought was, okay, maybe if we would have fought on all 21 United, we reject the deal, done, we're just not voting for McCarthy. He would fall. But how would he fall? It would be, oh, the rest of the conference would rise up and say, look, Kevin, you can't do it. I I don't know there's evidence that would have happened. The conference is that pathetic and bad. There were a few others in reserve who would have joined, but 
not like 20 or 30, much less 100. So the same way it was so easy for 20 guys to block, okay, so who says he's going to step down? But even if he did, now he could exact his revenge, and he certainly has a lot more votes to block whoever we wanted. That was that was always the problem. Um, and And no one could answer that for me. And he would have worked with the Democrats, by the way. They, they accused us of doing this. Now, this doesn't validate the thumbsucker, toe-dipping, loser, fake conservative Fox News arguments of, it's going to help the Democrats. No, we're not doing that. That's your buddy McCarthy, meaning it is possible Democrats could have gained power, but only if McCarthy would have done it, and he would have done it. Or the argument, there's no one other speaker but McCarthy. That's not true. Other people would have arisen, but I'm just telling you, if you had that chaos, the only person who had a whip operation to do it would have been dirtbags like Jim Banks and or, or just like neocons. Um, like I said, on paper, they would have been better than McCarthy, but keep in mind, McCarthy had control over the whole conference for years. So he was the only one who could negotiate a deal like this. You get a, a new guy in place, the same way we make demands, the other side's going to say, well, we're not going to vote for you if you don't, you know, Tom Cole could have gone to that new guy and said, I don't want Thomas Massey and Chip Roy on the rules committee. So that that's the issue. And again, this is not about Thomas Massey or Chip Roy on the rules committee because they, they personally want to ingratiate themselves by um, being on a rules committee. That's just not what it is. It's because that's how, I mean, someone's got to do it. We always complain that conservatives don't have a seat of power. Well, someone's got to offer it. So I don't want to hear this business of, oh, well, you know, it's self-serving. But th- these are the strategic disagreements. Do you, you know, did, did, did you let it go on another day or two? But that's not the important thing. There's always a gray area. Look, you get 10 conservatives in a room, you're going to have 50 opinions. <laughs> That's a reality. And, and, and to be fair, we are thinking people. We don't goose step. So even, even, even if values-wise we're all on the same page, strategically we're always going to have different opinions. That's why it's so hard. For those who weren't involved in the Boehner fights, you can't appreciate how hard it is to hurt cats. But there's the most important outcome of all of this entire thing that I wanted to talk about. And that is whatever the ramifications are at a federal level, what we could fix, what we can expose, what we could red pill. It's that this is the blueprint headed forward. Until now, the purpose of conservatives were to have non-binding votes, be potted plants, just look there pretty. To and, and worse than that, almost to give the Republican Party its conservative name. Think about it. I mean. I hate to say it, but conservatives being in the Republican Party, all it does is give them clout as if they are conservative. Um, you know, people think, oh, it's got Daniel. Come on. You can't tell me there's no difference between Republicans and Democrats. Look at Chip Roy. Look at Thomas Massey. Look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look at Lauren Bober, whatever. You know, look at, at uh, Ron Johnson and Rand Paul. If they wouldn't be there, everyone would see the Uniparty straight up. So just to be there and make a point is not, is not enough. You have to be willing to take hostages. And I think 
everyone agrees. Some might have wanted to go a little longer. Some maybe still wanted to get rid of McCarthy, thought that was strategically better. Some thought that was strategically worse. But I think what all 20 do agree, and what we all see now is that hostage-taking does pay. And we're not going to say pretty please anymore. We're going to assert our will. And this is the broader point I wanted to make. It needs to be done in state legislatures where you have rhino speakers and rhino this and rhino that. We're like, well, what can we do? Now, to be fair, it's tougher. I counterproductively or counterintuitively and ironically, it is a little tougher when you have super majorities because <laughs> then you have enough dirtbag rhinos to get you across the finish line. This is unique. And I do want to say, Thomas Massey said this on the show before the election. He said, man, I wish we had a narrow majority. You can't imagine the stuff we can do with that. And he was right. Everyone wanted this red wave. And I, I, I noted at the time, no one wanted to hear it. I was like, dude, it's going to be the same type of guys. It's going to be awful. We now have an opportunity we, to get a red wave through a narrow majority. Sometimes things work out the opposite than you, that you think. You have to be willing to utilize that. And this is what we need to do. But you have to be willing to get messy. And again, ultimately, you have to be willing to shoot the hostage. You cannot simply say that for the sake of unity with Republicans, we're going to get on their plantation. You have to stand your ground and say, you're going to get on our plantation. Whether it's with a leadership member, whether it's with a policy, whether it's with a structure, you're going to get on our plantation. And finally, what this means in, you know, practically, it needs to be done among the people, the voters themselves. Well, Daniel, how do voters get together in caucus and, well, not, not exactly. Obviously, they don't have that sort of leverage and communication. But this is what I talked about in December, the idea of taking, for example, the people who voted for gay marriage and circulating a petition of 500,000 voters and you have an organization that kind of speaks on their behalf, cir circulating it. This is what we need. We are registered Republican voters, 500,000 in the state. We will not vote for you, even in a general election. Done. We will not vote for you. Now, again, logistically you can't work that out as well as you can 20 guys in a legislative body but the spirit of it is true that we have to stop saying oh my god we gotta defeat the democrats let's just whatever you want we'll we'll give you whatever you want which we're, we're gonna vote for you because we just want to defeat the democrats if that is your attitude we're on the road to hell it needs to be the opposite. We need to have them frantically coming to us oh my gosh what do you want what what could I do what could I do now Obviously, there's no motion to vacate midway term, you know, in an election to kick the guy out if he lies to you. But my point is at least allow, get the guy to try to pander to you in the general election. At least make them work for your vote. But the lesson is you have to be willing to show that you're serious. The big thing about this with McCarthy is. McCarthy did not realize how dead serious they were. And I'm telling you, even to the extent they didn't 
ultimately, you know, they, they, they took his offer was in large part just because from our vantage point, it, it's a little bit of reverse game theory here. We were concerned that you're just going to get a fake neocon that would have more clout with the conservative, you know, chattering apparatus and force stupid things on us and we wouldn't have as much leverage to hold him accountable. And some some maybe disagreed a little bit. I don't know. That's a judgment call. But the point is, they were willing to go through with this. And I think it's clear, if McCarthy is caught betraying this, we'll be right back at this again. That's what needs to happen. We need to assert ourselves that this is unacceptable. We're not going to vote for you. So maybe we do vote for the guy in the end. But get something for it, you idiots. Here we are on the cusp. Just in a couple months, we have primaries. Believe it or not, there are the Kentucky gubernatorial elections and I, you know, attorney general statewide, all that stuff, statewide offices, and Mississippi and Louisiana. Three solid red states. And, and, and in the case of the latter two, the legislative seats are up as well. Kentucky already had their state legislative elections. Three solid red states. Mississippi, we're going to continue with the same rhino governor. In Kentucky, there's a Democrat. But, you know, I, I had her on. I endorsed Savannah Maddox, the most conservative um, woman in the legislature. She dropped out of the race. She just couldn't get enough money. No one joined me in supporting her. And according to the polling I've heard, I'm forgetting the name. What's, what's the name of the guy? The attorney general. Um, and I'm forgetting his name. He's the front runner. He's a McConnell guy. Straight up, former McC- McConnell st- staffer. Then he became attorney general. And now he's the front runner for governor. We are not making progress anywhere else. Because we don't assert ourselves. We don't focus on the races that matter, the people that matter, the strategies that matter. So I'm going to continue doing this. And, and we're still going to focus on our state legislatures. You know, th- there's a big problem now. What the conservatives just did in Washington, the rhinos have been doing and are doing for a while. We need to do it back to them. In Montana, they, they passed this rule that allows you to get bills out of committee with a lower threshold. You could blast it out of committee with a less than majority support. So that allows rhinos and Democrats to get bad bills we'll just never bring out to the floor. They're ruining the supermajority. There's this paradigm, some of you who are not familiar with this, there's this paradigm that was established in Alaska where, at least until now, now it's just gone to hell in a handbasket, but this is partially why, but, you know, it was a reliable Republican state in terms of electing Republicans, but they're horrible Republicans. They willingly created a coalition government in the House and just gave Democrats, they have a power-sharing agreement. They just gave it to them. So basically, this is what just happened in Ohio. Ohio, you had Republicans have a 67 to 32 majority in the House. They had a conference vote. And overwhelmingly, they supported this guy, Derek Mirren, who would have been probably their most conservative speaker they ever had. They get out on the floor, and out of nowhere, 
this guy Jason Stevens, he's a rhino, gets 22 Republicans to work with every Democrat to elect him as speaker. And and his stated job is to block right-wing legislation. So this is a story that's we're going to watch closely. It occurred last week. But the conservatives need to say, we will lay down on the, we will disrupt the entire session. We are not going on until this is rectified. It's funny. We're not even allowed to use leverage that doesn't risk the Democrats being empowered. These guys directly go to the Democrats to screw us. And then if we try to get them out of office, you're helping the Democrats. This is what I mean when I say sometimes to elect rhinos is worse because even in a supermajority, they'll empower the Democrats. Their negative efficacy. That's the big lesson. That's the big lesson here. You cannot accept this is how it is. Now, there's some good stuff going on. The State Freedom Caucus organization is loosely affiliated with the leadership like Scott Perry and Andy Biggs of the Freedom Caucus. They're starting in a number of red states, Freedom Caucuses within the legislatures. About eight, eight or so have been announced. So this is going to, again, help distinguish the jerseys, be more aggressive. But this is the point. We cannot afford to leave tools on the table. We cannot afford not to weaponize those those tools for our purposes. So I just wanted you guys to know, it's not like I think a bunch of, oh, we're going to have a seat at the table and govern together with them or something. No, that's not what it is. It's to accentuate the divide, expose the divide, expose the federal government, red pill people, so ultimately it pushes that kind of cathartic brinkmanship that I think we need and without it, we won't go anywhere. It's not that I think we're going to fix things through the front door. Oh, wow, now now we have a chance. No, I don't. I don't. I just think we have a better ability, ironically, very uniquely, with an extremely weakened McCarthy, with us having a rope around his you-know-what in perpetuity, than it would be with a fresh conservative face, semi-conservative face, that would be much harder to control. That's just my strategic thinking. But if you disagree, let me know. And Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com is the email. At RM Conservative is the Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. And also, I'm going to need your help now. Now is the time to get to work. And I'm going to be coming up with a list of priorities at a federal level. Up to and including things of either abolishing or severely reforming the TSA. Think about something like that that affects Americans' liberties. That would be so popular with the public. Everyone flies. Almost everyone flies. They hate it. These are the type of ideas we need to think of. That even if they don't pass you know, the Senate, but this is how you red pill people and move the needle. These are the sort of ideas I want to pitch and, and help with. But that's my thing. I'm not just here to be woe and lamentation, and I think you guys know that. I want to be constructive, but it's a matter of being constructive in what we're trying to to construct. So hopefully this was clarifying to you. Let me know if you have concerns, questions. Nothing's black and white here. Nothing's black and white. Exactly how far to push a brinkmanship, when to take a negotiation, 
but the but I wanted to give you the broader thought of that broadly speaking, this was as successful as it really could be. And it's just one sliver, one dot, one issue, one fight, 20 members. This mentality is what we need to bring with us everywhere in this sphere. And that's the mentality I'm going to continue to bring to you. That's why you need to turn off these other loser talk show hosts that that were exposed as frauds dumping on these guys. Imagine how much better we could have been had all these guys been dumping on McCarthy rather than our guys. Think about that. And that's that's the important point here. Um, they always say they're willing to empower the Democrats rather than be with us. So we have to be willing to do the same. Not that you're trying to empower the Democrats the way they are, but that you're you're willing to risk some sort of brinkmanship. And yes, in a general election, you're willing to run an independent candidate. It could risk the Democrat winning, but it could also be that you win in, in, in a three-way race. This is something we're going to develop throughout the month. Please give us a five-star rating with a comment on iTunes if you haven't already. It really does help elevate this show over the thumb suckers. Folks, until tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.